Welcome to the TBD Podcast. This is Aaron Caulfield. On the show, it's my job to coach and consult with high-achieving entrepreneurs, CEOs, software engineers, data scientists, and anyone else looking to create a positive impact in the world. I dive deep with guests, I draw out their dreams, their visions, their hopes for the future, and I help them overcome the fears and emotional challenges along the way. I hope you enjoy. Benji. Hello, hello. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm, I'm pumped to have you on. So we met, I looked it up, we've met almost exactly a year ago. Wow. Through, through Lucas, of course. Lucas Phillips, your roommate and founder of Brewbike, for anyone listening. I was immediately impressed by how deep of a thinker you are and how many different concepts and ideas and disciplines you can go into and i was really excited to begin working with you it's been an absolute pleasure and i i would say that you know we we really enhance each other in that you're a very curious person and i am one who likes digging deep and so together we kind of have just pushed each other down this really cool path of you know seeking meaning getting fulfillment and i think that you know we've we've worked really well together in this past year and i'm excited to see like where we go how how deep that is what direction that is and you know i think we're both learning quite a bit along the way awesome i'm excited to see where we go and in a moment i'll ask you to introduce yourself but before i do you've had several big insights i think paradigm shifting kind of ideas in our work together and I want, to, I want to see where we can go today that might lead to one of those. I'm not attached to it, but I think that would be a cool place to play. Is that cool? Absolutely. Cool. So we take a few moments to introduce yourself. Absolutely. So my name is Benji. I am originally from San Diego, California. I grew up there until I was, you know, graduated high school. My childhood was great. I was incredibly privileged. I owe all of that to my parents who are very, very hardworking people. Um, they're both immigrants. They both came from South Africa. And so, you know, I, I kind of always felt like an outsider and that most of my friends were, you know, raised by parents who were American and very ingrained in American culture. And my parents, you know, were still assimilating. So, you know, even though I was born here and grew up around American kids having foreign parents, definitely you know makes you feel slightly like an outsider which I don't necessarily think is a bad thing but yeah I do think that that may have had an impact on who I've become um, I was a middle child I think that also had a strong impact on, on who I am now my siblings are great they're you know really really cool really smart and interesting people and and we have a lot of fun together as a family and so you know academically I have always been fascinated by biology and, you know, evolution and how that created, you know, that I would say that I didn't really understand what fascinated me so much about, you know, living systems, but it was more just like the why, like what brought us here? Why are we here? I've, I've always been like one to ask these deep questions. And I only recently have I really started to get some answers that, you know, satisfy me, but there's still definitely a lot more questions I have about, you know, why we're here, you know, what we should do now that we are here. 
you know, now that we were granted and gifted this consciousness, like, what do we do with it? You know, how do you make meaning out of it? And, um, and so like, you know, when I was deciding what to do for college, I kind of looked back on, you know, the subjects that just fascinated me the most. And so biology obviously came up, um, computer science was also something that I had, you know, recently learned and, you know, at the end of high school and was just kind of into the idea that you could have this like bicycle for your mind, basically, where if you had an idea that, you know, you wanted to test out that you could use this tool to just like get more out of your brain than you otherwise would be able to, you know, we're, we're not optimized to do, you know, very basic calculations or whatnot. And so, you know, with the aid of a computer, you can use your creativity combined with the, you know, ability of a computer to do these really basic things, but together you can really derive these pretty cool insights that, you know, you otherwise would not be able to. So, you know, I knew I wanted some kind of combination of computer science and biology. And so, you know, visited a couple of schools, decided to go to Northwestern. Northwestern has this really cool program in synthetic biology, which is basically the idea that biology are programmable systems. And, you know, though evolution created life to be a certain way, you know, as we all know, we have the ability to direct that evolution now, now that we have genetic engineering technology. I mean, we've been selective breeding forever, but now we can, you know, rapidly change, you know, what life looks like and do it in a way that, you know, allows us to live on this planet, like sustainably and healthily. Um, And so... You know, that's, I would say, like, for academic interests, that, that's definitely been, like, the core. Um, and, yeah, now I work for a company called Tempest Labs. We're in Chicago. My CEO started Groupon, and he is a very interesting guy and basically took the whole idea behind Groupon, which was gathering information about people and predicting what coupons they'd want, and just basically took a bunch of engineers, took a bunch of doctors, put them all in a room and was like, you know, same approach, different application, go figure out disease. And so we're starting off with cancer and basically trying to predict features about a patient, you know, how long they'll live, what drugs they'll respond to from their genetics, you know, from their DNA and RNA sequences. And so I think it's a really cool problem. I have a lot of fun doing it. And it is, uh, it's definitely a challenge that keeps me getting up in the morning. Um, And you're smiling for the listeners who can't see you. Yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, like as, as fun of a problem as it is, I still like have this burning desire to create more impact, um, Mm. explore my own consciousness, increase the consciousness of other people. And yeah, I, I just don't feel like I figured it out yet. And one of the best parts about working with Aaron is he's brought me, you know, not all the way, but closer to, you know, finding that meaning. I love this, man, because you, some people have to guide them to being on their path of figuring out what they want to do. That kind of like goes back from childhood and then leads to exactly what they are best suited in the world to be doing. You you kind of already figured that out before we even started. Because if we check it back, basically, 
loved biology and evolution, interested in consciousness and philosophical ideas, interested in computer science and the future. And then you took that, you used that at Northwestern, and then you landed at Tempest where you get to use all those ideas. Plus now with some of the groups that I have you in, like Sunday Night Flow, you get to increase that even more, increase your consciousness, increase your impact in the world. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, there's no end point, right? It's an infinite game that we're playing. You know, there's, there's no like point that you hit where you say, all right, I've reached my maximum level of consciousness or fulfillment or understanding. It's, I think it's part of this innate human nature to never be satisfied. And, you know, a lot of what this is about is learning to be grateful and to accept that fact that, you know, we'll never be satisfied and just pointing in the right direction that gets you closest to where you want to be at that moment in time and just keep and, and know that you're going to always be searching. Right. Mm. Yeah. The endless pursuit. Uh, there's a roomy quote. I won't get it exactly right, but it's only seekers find it, but you can't find it by seeking something like that. And it might not even be roomy to be honest, but floats around the internet. But it's, but it's that desire to seek and action of seeking that is fulfilling it's not finding the thing itself, right? I think that's mm. also what that's going That was a mic drop. That was <laughs> profound right there. <laughs> uh, I, that's uh, something I've been working on, especially as I've been dating. It's like to actually enjoy the process rather than get frustrated mm-hmm. with not having a significant other that I can really be fulfilled with. So, cool, man. So, where do we go today to mine for a potential big insight? Mm-hmm. Well, I think we should start with like one big insight I've already had and maybe just build off of that. And so for background, my job is like a, a combination of, of quick asks for people that are above me. You know, they have a very specific question that they want an answer to. And, you know, because I'm a programmer, I, I dig into the databases, I build the models, and I get to an answer that they can't because they're not plugged into these systems, right? Or don't know how. So they'll sometimes ask me something quick, you know, like, how do you, you know, what is the answer to this question? But another part of it is, is building infrastructure and engineering systems that are generalizable to a bunch of different questions that a lot of people might have or, you know questions that they didn't even know that they had, but rather be like a platform for question asking. So, you know, this big insight was basically, I, I kind of have come to the realization that I really like building things that last mm-hmm. and not this quick, you know, question answering that, you know, that's basically one off. As much as you learn along the way, it, it gets very repetitive. And what's cool about building infrastructures that you can, you can create something and, and never have to worry about it again. You're basically doing something right the first time and then get, you know, taking the learnings from that and moving on to the next thing, whatever that is. And so I would say like that, that has definitely been like a, one of the biggest insights I've had with Aaron that he's led me to. And, you know, I'm, I've since then have been working really hard to foster that. And yeah, I'll, I'll reflect it back to you because it hit me. It, it like I got chills down my spine. Is building things that last. Mm-hmm. 
it's super profound because like, you know, if, if you think about evolution, there were a lot of screw ups, right? There are a lot of times where like an organism would have some mutation and that mutation wouldn't benefit. And then that, that person would die or not have offspring or whatever. But then there were these rare moments in evolution where we had a mutation that actually like, benefited that individual and like stayed and, you know, basically like either created a new species or new traits that persisted through time. And it's those rare events that I think are are so cool because we are basically the product of all of those rare events that have lasted in time. And it's basically that, I know it's kind of hard to imagine, but if you think of those mutations, it's like building blocks. They are the infrastructure that created our bodies. And it went from, you know, freaking single celled organisms all the way to human consciousness. And, you know, if, as much as I can build on the, you know, idea infrastructure of humanity, you know, that lead us toward a, you know, much more societal consciousness, like increased consciousness. I think that would be, you know, a cool way to spend my time. Let's go there because I'm very intrigued. What's the, what's the vision? So say consciousness of society has increased, bigger impact. You've built thing, something that lasts. Mm-hmm. What, what would we be seeing in the world take us out to 2023 yeah well here's the thing it's like i think that people in general are not as conscious as they could be they're not appreciative as it could be this is not an accusation on the general public it's more just you know from empirical observation and i think it's because like we may have it too good right you know we were also this is you know I'm, i'm really speaking from my own experience but I do feel like my peers, you know, have it so good. You know, we, we have this kind of comfortable life thing, you know, things that we need are, are handed to us. And there's no like struggle that we have to really face. And it's very easy to, you know, suppress those struggles with, you know, alcohol. And, you know, there's, there's different ways to basically prevent yourself from being conscious at the end of the day. And what I think what I, what I find is, especially in the field of oncology, is once people have their health taken away from them, they start to increase their levels of appreciation and consciousness, you know, their, and mortality. And so I think that's, that's why I like working in this field so much is because when people go into remission, they have such an appreciation for life and for you know, everyone else, and I think increase their level of consciousness than they otherwise would. And so, you know, if, if I'm going to increase people's appreciation for life, you know, diseased, diseases in general, I think are a great place to start, you know, working on how do we, how do we fix those who are jeopardized in terms of their health? so that they can reach the other side and, and fully appreciate life as they did not before, if that mm. made sense. I, I had ankle surgery last year and the pain was excruciating. And now I don't even think about it. I'm, I'm actually just so grateful that I'm not in pain. Yeah. And I'm on the other side of that disease. 
Right. Um, but now you appreciate what it's like to have healthy ankles, right? Yeah, right. And ankles aren't even something you've thought about before, right? Right. Anyway, so that's, yeah, that's something I think. Like, I, I think it's also another human thing to just like, you know, let bygones be bygones and forget about things if they're never jeopardized. And so that's just kind of what I'm getting back to is like, if, you do, if your health is never jeopardized, you never appreciate it. But if it is jeopardized and you make it out on the other side, you're so incredibly appreciative. Mm. So you want to help people make it out to the other side? Yes. And starting with cancer specifically, and then you have in mind other diseases as well? Another disease that my company is moving into is depression. You know, and I think mental health is just as, if not more important than physical health. And so we're trying to take kind of the same approach that we've taken to cancer to um, depression. And, you know, another very difficult challenge. It's a multifactorial problem, but the potential impact is also great. You take someone who has been depressed and, you know, can't really imagine what it's like to be happy again. And if you can help anybody become happy again like they'll be so appreciative of it and so grateful for it um and i think those are the people worth helping but you know i, I think that, you know if, if we're coming back to cancer there cancer is basically a product of aging and this is you know a long biology conversation but cancer is simply this manifestation of you know these things that that cause aging right so and there are a lot of other diseases that, you know, that aging is basically the genesis of, meaning Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and heart disease. You know, all of, all of these diseases like at, the, at the fundamental level are caused by people getting old. And so if you can slow down people from getting old in the first place, then you could theoretically slow down all these other diseases. And this goes into the whole field of aging research, like how do we slow down? aging but i think what you find is there's basically this like there's the spectrum between like immortality and you know short life and, and mortality and mm. the further you push toward immortality the greater you're increasing your own chances of cancer so it's it's basically like this spectrum that you can you know try and play with but the more you try and increase your immortality and slow down aging the more you increase the your chances of getting cancer so it's it's kind of like this cat and mouse game where not so much cat and mouse more like with what's the chicken what's the egg but you know i, I it would be great if we could just solve aging because then you could solve all these other diseases but at the same time you're also in, increasing like people's chances of getting cancer i understand yeah what's the what's the shift benji what's what's something that is stuck or it's like if we shifted it internally would lead to lead to your ability to make this kind of impact in the world mm -hmm. even more or faster or better what's the shift in your own mind i think one thing i've struggled with in the past and this may be a product of being a middle child or feeling like an outcast growing up i'm not sure what caused this but I would say that I don't like value myself enough. Hmm. I would say that like I'm I'm pretty self-critical. And I think that may be a limiting factor in my ability to create impact on others. Um, and you know, I, I like kind of I, I think it's 
general of human nature to compare yourselves to others. And I think the people that I see that have more confidence in themselves and desire to get the absolute most out of their time are those who like create the greatest impact. And it's not so much as like feeling like you're entitled to, to one thing as much as it is thinking that, well, basically believing in what your vision of the future is and doing whatever it takes to get there, right? And having, having trust in that you know, vision of the future that you have and, and not trusting that other people have a better idea than you. And if you think that they do, then questioning it at the very least, right? Yeah, Bef before you go into solution mode, I just want to slow you down around being middle child, valuing yourself, comparing yourself to others. It, it just felt like a, a deep emotional thing for you. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would say like family dynamic was, you know, my, both my brother and sister fairly extroverted. And so like we would have family dinners and I feel like I was just always kind of the quiet one. And, you know, I, I, it was probably from sitting there and feeling like, you know, I wasn't valued within my family, even though I was, even though I was very much loved, but the fact that my brother and sister took just a lot of the attention, I think I got in my own head that, you know, I was not valued as highly. And I think that kind of mentality just stuck and just, you know, became self-consciousness. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that, that kind of manifested in like low self-value. Right. Um, so just, just breathe there. Breathe into your belly and feel it, feel that one, man. Cause I, I get this, most of our limiting beliefs and emotional patterns started six years old or younger before we even had a real consciousness to choose or think about them. And so growing up middle child, feeling like an outsider a bit, extroverted siblings, family who loved you, but just for whatever reason you felt you had to compare yourself to others. Yeah. And it was just also more time in my own head. Right. Hmm. Like, whereas, you know, other members of my family were externalizing everything. I was, you know, just super loud in my own head and I didn't even realize this at the time. Um, but that's, that was probably where this all came from. Um, and I, you know, haven't really, thought about it that way before honestly yeah so you you kind of had a, a strategy of okay i feel this way let me go up into my big brain and try and like figure out different things and and think through things intellectually yeah rather than feel mm -hmm. it is kind of Which, hard to pinpoint your personality traits and you know why they are the way they are because you know like long-term memory is just not that accurate, right? Mm. Like the vast majority of old memories, you've already gone over your head enough times to where they're not even accurately representing what happened anymore, right? <laughs> like it's just, you've created this new situation that did not happen, this complete <laughs> fantasy. So actually pinpointing why you are the way you are now is probably 
a lost cause. But it, I think it's definitely an exercise worth trying. Yeah, I totally get it. And I've found value in going back and healing some of those old wounds, even though the memory itself is kind of wonky, but just like healing the inner child, that six-year-old boy who is now inside of our adult bodies. Yeah. (laughs) He's definitely there. He just looks different now. Yeah. There's a big sigh <laughs> what just happened no it's just like you know I, I don't really go back into my memory bank a lot i don't like you know try and resurface old memories often i think it happens in like dreams and whatever but you know i i like thinking about the future so much more mm-hmm. that i really focus on like where things are going given their current state then you know, eyes backward reminiscing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like I'll, I'll think about like before I go to bed, like at night, I'll think about the day that just passed, you know, what I did wrong and all the awkward social interactions I had. And like, why did I say that? I'm such an idiot. Why didn't I say this? But, you know, more than like a day or two ago, I, I largely like push memories away, you know, to allow myself to focus on what's in front of me. I feel yeah. like, you know, present in that way, or at least forward thinking. Yeah. And one thing I'd offer to you, man, is if those do come up is rather than pushing away, which could be kind of like suppress or repress them, just like put your hand over your heart, kind of like breathe a few breaths and calm down your inner child and, and let that heal and integrate. And then ultimately let go and transcend it. When, when, when I talk about letting go of emotions, as you know, because you've been practicing this, is it's, it's not really about like dismissing it. It's more about like healing it and then and letting the energy kind of shift to then move forward. Makes sense. You're going back and repairing all the wounds. Yeah. And as we repair more and more of those old wounds, we become just whole present in each moment. And so we're able to actually be here now. Because if you never, if you never solve the problem at its source, then it'll just keep coming up. Right. That's right. That's right. It'll just keep coming up and, and you'll just live in that loop. But if you're able to sit there and really think about why that memory keeps coming up, it's trying to tell you something. It's trying to tell you that there's some lesson that you were meant to draw out of it. And you need to really get to that answer before you can ever even think about letting go, letting go of that. That's right. Bothersome memory. So if, so if you take this one in the context of what you want to build, building things that last mm-hmm. and, and working on aging and cancer, I'm so inspired by that. If we take this memory that's just happened to come up, what what would be the lesson here to learn, to heal, to integrate so that you can move forward? I think the lesson there is to be more present because, you know, while I could have been there listening to other family members, I was just in my own head, like, why don't they love me? Why don't they love me? Like, why don't they mm. ask how I'm doing? You know, it was, it was purely just like my voice in my own head, just silencing 
you know, my loving family members and look like we're all gone now in that, you know, my brother lives, you know, in SF, I'm here, my sister's at college, you know, we don't have those like family dinners anymore. You know, whenever we do, it's, it's rare. And so rather than spend that time thinking, rather just like be present with my family and, you know, listen to them and, you know, how they've changed and evolved in their own ways and, you know, how I can serve them. And there was an excitement and a, a lightness to you as you yeah. described that. Well, because it's, it's not too late, right? There's still time. Yeah, so like, very cool. Be better. Do you think that there are any other lessons to be learned there? Hmm. The, the one that comes to mind is everyone's doing the best they can with the resources they have available to them. And so your parents, your family members were doing the best they could to give you attention, give you love in those moments, just as you were with them. And so it can provide like a level of forgiveness and compassion for ourselves to realize that in any given moment, people really are doing the best they can to survive and, and Absolutely. thrive as best as they are able. And everyone has their own perspective and wants, needs, thoughts, you know, that you can't expect them to be thinking what you're thinking unless you tell them, right? Mm -hmm. And by hiding what you're thinking, you're, you know, you're creating resentment and you're creating a fantasy in your own head. Mm. Right. It's amazing how these traumas get locked in. Like I had one the other day of like my dad walking into the house when I was three years old or whatever and me playing and just like, I, I perceived him as like not making eye contact or loving me. And it, who knows what he, like he could have been just putting the keys down and getting back from work and it could have been nothing to do with that. But the three-year-old brain locks it in as a traumatic experience, which then plays yeah. out as patterns later on. Yeah. I think the child brain is so interesting because it's so formative. It's really just trying to piece together all of these seemingly random events to, you know, create that structure that allows you to understand how the world works. Um, but I, I kind of had a similar memory and it was of my dad as well. And, you know, he basically bought me Skittles and then he asked for a Skittle once I opened the thing and I said, no. <laughs> and he started laughing at me like he had just bought me these skittles i opened them and then i wouldn't share them with him and he just started laughing at me and he's like you're so stingy and <laughs> that moment stuck with me i was probably like four years old and i will never forget that moment and it's the same kind of thing where like you just learn you know what it means to you know be a what is the lesson from that, honestly? I think it's just that, like, it, it stuck with me emotionally. That feeling of, like, embarrassment just stuck with me and ensured that I would never, ever do that again. There's nothing worse than getting laughed at, especially by right. your parents. And so, like, no chance my dad remembers this, right? But, like, you know, four-year-old me was just like, oh, I need to lock this in the memory. This feels terrible. I never want to feel like this ever again. Right. Right. So then what happens then is 
we have those feelings of humiliation or embarrassment and we say, I never want to feel this again. And so then we don't, in adult life, we don't quite go for it. We don't quite offer Skittle to somebody or whatever it is. We don't put ourselves out there because we don't want to feel that emotional wound again. Or we do. We give them all the Skittles. (laughs) (laughs) Give them away so I don't have to deal with that feeling. So how do we tie this back, man? What's the connection? What's the link between where you want to go with building something that lasts, working on aging? Well, I think if you want to build something that lasts in the world, you have to build yourself to last and be sustainable, right? And so I think that, you know, what we're talking about here is like finding pieces of my personality that, you know, good, bad, just are the way they are and like understanding them at their source and being able to move on and be like, oh, I know this about myself because I've identified this cause and now I can change it if I want to Mm. and build off of it and, you know, have, have that going on both internally and externally. Right. And be like, you know, building on all the things I want to change about the world. I have to start with, you know, changing those things about myself in the same lens. Right. Beautiful. Yeah. I think to increase the consciousness of the world, it's an inside job for each of us to increase our own consciousnesses and then spread that. And it's, it's happening. It's a bit of a movement. Mm-hmm. There's more people posting on Facebook. There's, there's the love button on texts and Facebook. I watched a documentary about veganism for athletes and game changers. The game changers. Yeah. Fascinating. People are more aware of climate change and that we need to protect the planet. Hopefully down this year in America. Yeah. I just wonder if like the path to increase consciousness is meditate, like at an individual level, at least is meditation where you're kind of focused on your awareness and just the fact that you are aware or is that in a way its own form of suppression and suppressing these past feelings that you could learn from and build off of to increase your consciousness, right? Like, you can't just sit there and breathe and understand why you are the way you are, you know, in in terms of your personality, you know, to do that, you really have to go into these memory banks, parse each one and under, and and really try and think about why they stuck with you. If you want to increase, you know, your understanding of yourself, just as much as the, you know, self is evolving, understanding, you know, all the steps that got you to where you are now can't just come from sitting and breathing. Right. It also has to come from, you know, parsing your long-term memories. I went to the 10 day silent meditation retreat, as you know, and one of the instructors, he wasn't actually at that, but one of the main instructors at spirit rock is Jack Cornfield. And In his book, uh, it's called A Path with Heart. He talks about basically a two-pronged approach to meditate and to increase consciousness that way. But also in the West, specifically, there's a real need for 
psychotherapy and healing old wounds. He, w- he was amazed when he came back from, I probably think probably India, just how much of that work needed to be done also to help people increase their meditation practice and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So they, they seem to work in tandem. Yeah. And I think the same way about like creating impact, right? Like you can enter flow and really just focus in on this one thing. And in essence, you're basically suppressing everything else, right? It, it, flow is in itself a form of suppression of everything that's been created before you by all these incredibly smart, successful people that have created something for you to build off of. But by, you know, trying to solve a problem yourself, you're basically suppressing all of their incredible work. And look, like maybe you can come to an insight that they, you know, could not given their tools and levels of understanding. But it, I, I think like you're talking about, they kind of go hand in hand. You really have to foster, you know, learning what came before you just as much as you do, like, you know, in, in flow states to really create the most. Cool. So I, th- I think we're close, man. What's the biggest insight you had in our conversation today? Well, I think like from what we talked about in terms of like me at the family dinner table and like where, you know, how being a middle child and being this introvert kind of manifested into my own self-consciousness. I think that's, that's led to a lot of fear and like, I really kind of fearful of taking things for myself and when opportunities are presented to me, I feel like I almost, I'm not worthy and shouldn't take them. Um, because I might seem like uh, I might feel like I'm, I'm acting entitled or taking something from somebody else when in reality I need to believe in my own vision of the future and really like, to, you know, take these opportunities and, and make the best use of them and value them higher than I know anyone else would have and put my whole, you know, energy into this thing that, you know, nobody else would have appreciated more than, than I will. Right. Like, I just think about our, our, you know, boss who is CEO at Groupon and like, he is so willing to take things for himself and it might come across to others as egotistical, but to him, it's just confidence in his own, you know, vision of the future. Mm -hmm. And I think I have a lot to take from, from that. And I think that can help me get over this, you know, this, self-consciousness that is ultimately resulted in like fear right you know i have i have these great opportunities in front of me that i you know have not been acting on i think out of out of this fear that's manifested you are worthy my friend if you say so you are beyond worthy <laughs> you and my mom and it, takes, <laughs> and it takes a lot of courage to get on a podcast and, and share. So I really appreciate it. Of course. I learned from you every that, time we talk. What's that? I said I learned from you every time we talk. Awesome, dude. Likewise. I think I think we're there. You good? Cool. Well, I really appreciate it and I will talk to you soon on Sunday Night Flow. Hell yeah.